Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and join me in the book of Genesis once again, Genesis chapter 29. As we continue on in our series, someone said to me this morning, uh, you sound like you are sick. And I said, I guess it's better than looking like I'm sick, right? Uh, Tuesday, I woke up feeling pretty awful, and uh, for the last uh, number of days have just been sitting on the couch and alternating between medicines and trying to see what may work. And uh, here we are this morning. So this will either be the shortest sermon you've heard at North River Church or the worst sermon you've heard at North River Church, all right? I'm not really sure which one it's going to be this morning, uh, but trust that the Lord is going to speak through His Word as He always does uh, to encourage our hearts at the beginning of this year as we think about the grace of God abounding to us. And so I want to ask you as we prepare to dive into Genesis chapter 29, what are you most excited about, most looking forward to when you think about the year 2023? I mean, of course, outside of Georgia winning another national championship. <laughs> outside of that, I didn't miss that last night, don't you worry. But outside of that, what are you most looking forward to? As you think about that, for me, as I look back on 2022, I think about not the events, not necessarily the things that happen, but I think about the moments of God's grace that in the moment of time I couldn't see, but now looking back on it are so evident in my life. Looking back through journals of the last year, moments where I would write things down, not really thinking about it in the grand picture, but being able over the last week when you're sitting on the couch, there's not much you can do other than kind of read back through things. And so I just read through the journals and things that were such a big deal to me that I was really worried about, very concerned about. I look at now and think, gosh, that was really dumb. And I look at and realize just how much God's grace was on display in those pages. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, I think you could look back over 2022 and see God's grace on display. And here's the encouraging thing this morning. 2023 will be no different. God's grace always abounds. Genesis chapter 29 is not an easy chapter, especially the first 30 verses. In fact, it is incredibly dysfunctional. There are issues surrounding the text. There are problems all throughout it. It's one of the passages of Scripture that you look at and you think, Lord, what in the world? Looking at Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30, what are we going to get out of this? And I wish I could tell you that at the end of the day, I mean, verse 30, we see, and God's grace was on display and everything was great. And the reality is... It wasn't written that way. 
In fact, we're kind of left on a cliffhanger wondering what is God going to do through all of this dysfunction, all of these problems, all of this disaster that's on display, and yet the pages of Scripture remind us, in fact, the book of Genesis reminds us that God is always, always, always at work. God is always showing to us, even in the moment when we can't see it, His grace on display. And so I don't know how you are entering into 2023. You may be entering in excited about the new year. You're coming off of a high of 2022. You're looking forward. It just could not get any better. Or maybe you are just crawling across the finish line of 2022, just hoping maybe 2023 will be different. Regardless of how you enter into this year, one thing remains true, and that is God's grace abounds. I want to read for us Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 30 this morning. And as we do each week, we'll walk back through it together. Genesis 29, verse 1. This is God's word. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. 
Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also. And he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in the text. It's this truth, in every moment, there are a thousand gears of God's grace turning for his glory and for our good. In every single moment, every single moment of history, every single moment of your life and my life, there are a thousand gears of God's grace turning for his glory and for our good. We look at this passage of scripture and I hope you saw the disaster that awaits Jacob in this moment. And yet in all of this, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact of God's grace that though Jacob won't see it in the moment, though we may not see it in the moment, will be evident down the road. Let's dive into Genesis chapter 29. I want us to take note first in the first 14 verses. Figured the best way to break this text down is to look at the discussion that takes place in verses 1 through 14. Verses 15 through 20, the deal that is hatched. And then in verses 21 through 30, the disaster that comes. So the discussion Jacob went on his journey. Verse 1 of chapter 29 tells us, don't forget that we encountered Jacob several chapters ago as we were looking at the Lord's plan and purpose continuing to be fulfilled, his 
promise to Abraham, and then from Abraham to Isaac, his son, and from Isaac to Jacob, that through Jacob, God would bless the nations. Through him, ultimately, the Messiah would come. But if you remember, as we've been walking our way through Jacob's life, Jacob is not an upstanding person. Don't lose sight of that. Don't forget that. Jacob's name means swindler, and that's exactly what he has been doing. Remember that previous to this, he had swindled his brother out of his birthright. He had exchanged with him a bowl of stew for Esau's birthright as the firstborn. And then don't forget that he had deceived his father in receiving the blessing that should have gone to the firstborn son Esau by deceiving. Remember, he came in and put on skins of animals and tried to lower his voice as best he could and deceive his father who was unable to see very well at that point to receive the blessing that should have gone to Esau. Remember, Esau's decided he is going to kill his brother. And so at this point, as we left off last time in the book of Genesis, mom and dad have sent him away. I think it was couched under the terms of you need to go find a wife. But if we're honest, it was really to make sure he didn't die just then. And so he has journeyed back to Haran. He came to the land of the people of the east. And in verse 2, it says, He saw a well in the field and three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. At this point in time, Jacob is entering into this place that he has nothing to do with a place that he does not know he's heard about from his parents and he's been told that's where you need to go to find a wife don't find a wife from the pagan peoples around us you need to go back there and find a wife and so in verse 4 Jacob says to the shepherds that were there my brothers where do you come from and they said we're from Haran and so he said to them do you know Laban the son of Nahor, that is his uncle. Do you know him? This is who I'm looking for. And notice the response. They said, we do know him. And he said, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, it's still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and then go pasture them. He is an expert at this point in time. At least he thinks he is and how you're supposed to handle sheep. And so he offers to them advice. And they basically say, you don't know what you're talking about. They look at him and kind of probably laugh to themselves as he's telling them, hey, here's what you need to do with your livestock. They're looking around going, big hat, no cattle, my friend. You have no livestock, and here you are telling us what to do with our own livestock. So he tries to tell them that. They said in verse 8, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. The stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. That's how we do it around here. 
while he was still speaking. Verse 9, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherdess. And as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and he rolled away the stone so that the sheep could drink. Jacob kissed Rachel, verse 11. This was not a romantic kiss. This was a familial kiss. It's good to see you. And Jacob told Rachel this news that he was her father's kinsman. He was Rebekah's son. And so Rachel takes off to tell her father. In verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. He embraced him. He kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Everything sounds really good right now, doesn't it? I mean, they've once met, they've gotten to know each other. Jacob is staying with Laban, his uncle. He's been there for a month. I mean, at this point in time, things look like they're going really, really well. What Jacob doesn't know is that not only is he by name a swindler, his uncle is as well. And his uncle is about to out Jacob, Jacob. The deal is about to be done in verse 15. I want you to notice this because it's an important aspect of the story. Verse 15, Laban says to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Jacob, if you're going to stay here and you're going to work, you need to be paid. If you work, there's a funny thing that happens. I told my dad one day, I said, I need to go buy something as a teenager. And he said, you don't need to buy something. You need a job. As you go get a job, you can buy stuff. You work, you earn money. That's the situation that Laban says to Jacob. And so he says to him, what do you want your wages to be? Kind of a trick question, right? You walk into a job interview and the person says, how much would you like to get paid? Friendly advice. Never start with the first number. Right? You don't tell them. You say, well, what do you think this job is worth to you? But here, he already has in his mind exactly how much he wants to get paid. Notice, verse 16, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was, was Rachel. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak. 
That's interesting. There's been a lot of ink spilled in commentaries about that. But remember, at this point in time in history, most likely women in this culture would have been completely covered from head to toe with nothing more than a slit so that their eyes were visible. And so at this point in time, as the description of Leah comes out, it's Leah's eyes were dim or were weak. She didn't have beautiful eyes. Husbands, if your wife ever says, what is the thing about me that you love the most? That is a trick question. But a good response is, you have the most beautiful eyes I have ever seen. My wife, brown eyes, beautiful eyes. Here, Leah doesn't have the most beautiful eyes. In fact, she was not beautiful, at least in Jacob's mind, in appearance, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Verse 18, Jacob had been there a month, but he loved Rachel. And so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I will work for you for free for seven years for your youngest daughter. I'm willing to become an indentured servant to you for seven years. You don't have to pay me at all. I'm going to work for free for the hand of your younger daughter in marriage. At this point in time, this was a financial transaction. Jacob had nothing financially to his name. There was nothing that he could offer as a dowry for Rachel's hand in marriage that he could give to Laban, his uncle, so that he could marry. There's nothing he had. So what he had was time. Seven years. I'll work so that I can marry your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, verse 19, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Look at the last part there of verse 20. They seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Seven years, church, is a long time. But for Jacob, seven years was just like a couple of days. Why? Because he was in love. He was in love with Rachel. He wanted to marry her. It seemed like just a short period of time, the deal had been made I will serve you, Laban, for seven years. Now, the disaster. Verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Pay up. I'm here to cash the check that you owe me. I 
want to marry your daughter. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. You got to understand that this feast would have been a week-long celebration. In fact, if you look back at the literature around this, it would essentially have been a week-long drunk fest keg party. That's really what would have taken place here. You're going to find out in just a little bit how you know that's the case. But that's exactly what's going on here. Notice verse 23, in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. You're like, wait, hang on. I thought he was marrying Rachel. He thought he was marrying Rachel. In fact, he thought he was sleeping with Rachel that night. He had no idea until he woke up the next morning that it was not Rachel. Which, can I just throw this out there? This is probably the medicine talking, so just put this on where it needs to be. I have never heard anyone say, I made a wise decision after drinking. I just throw that out there. I have heard way too many people say, I have made a dumb decision after drinking. That was free. You didn't pay for that. But the next morning, verse 25, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? It's interesting because at this point in time, this is the moment where you see that Jacob is about to be out Jacob. Laban is a swindler. He is a cheat. This is just the beginning of two chapters worth of him at odds with his father-in-law about various things regarding his wages. This is just the beginning point. But notice his response to Laban. What is this you have done to me? Well, if you remember throughout the book of Genesis, this is something that we've seen play out over and over and over again. In fact, three different times we've seen those exact words used. What is this that you have done to me? Do you know when they happened? Well, the first was with Abraham and Sarai when they went into Egypt. And Pharaoh took Sarai because Abraham had said that she was his sister and the Lord had struck the entire cohort of Pharaoh's crew barren. And Pharaoh finds out that Sarah is actually Abram's sister and says to Abram, what is this that you have done to me? And then fast forward. The king of the Philistines, the exact same thing happens with Abraham and Sarai, and then it repeats itself with Isaac and with Rebekah. And now the sins of the father and the grandfather have fallen on the son, the grandson. And he says, what is this 
you have done to me. Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, we don't do things like that around here. It's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and then we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Listen, Jacob, we don't do those things like that. We don't give the younger before the older. Hey, just, just serve me another seven years. Another seven years and you can have Rachel. You know, at this point in time, Jacob should have said no. That's what he should have said. For a number of reasons, one, that he should have been faithful to his wife that he now had. Even though he had been deceived in this moment, he should have said, well, God's plan, God's covenant for marriage is one man, one woman for life. And so I'm going to align with him in this, but he doesn't do that. And in fact, I look at that and there's parts of me that say, man, if I was the Lord in this moment, I would have likely just written Jacob off. And yet... Praise God that he doesn't do that to us. Praise God that his grace still extends to us in our sinfulness. So Jacob agrees to this deal. Jacob did so. He finished the week of celebration with Leah. Then it says Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. He gave his female servant to his daughter Rachel to be her servant Verse 30, Jacob went in to Rachel also, and here's where the heartbreak is. He loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. And then the text stops. And we're kind of left in this moment going, okay. Well, that was odd. And if we just simply look at it at face value, we'll walk away this morning and just kind of think, well, well, that was just kind of odd. We look at it and we wonder, what, what, is, what is God doing in this situation, in this circumstance? Is God at work? And the great news that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis is that even in mankind's sinfulness, that God's plan is not thwarted in the midst of that. That God is still at work to bring about his plan and his purpose, that there are still, regardless of what's going on in this moment, a thousand gears of God's grace turning for his glory and for our good. That God in this moment is able to take a disaster of a situation and not just write off Jacob and say, okay, let's move to plan B in this moment. But that God's able to take this situation and say, even in the midst of that, I am still going to work to bring about my plan and my purpose, my covenant promise will still flow through Jacob. Ultimately, it will reach its climax in Jesus Christ coming to this earth through his lineage. 
And so as we gather on this first day of the year, we may be tempted to look ahead and to wonder, how's God going to work? We may be looking in this morning at the tree right in front of us, not able to see the forest that God sees of his plan and his purpose coming to fruition. And in this moment, how can I encourage you? It's simply a reminder that God's grace is at work in your life and in my life. And so if we're going to look out for anything in 2023, if we're going to be cognizant of anything, my hope and my prayers, it will be the fingerprints of God's grace on our lives. That we would so tune our hearts to prepare ourselves to see God's grace at work. Are you anticipating seeing the grace of God on display in your life over the course of this next year? Are you hopeful? Are you ready and longing to be able to look back on 2023 when you hit 2024 and to say, I couldn't see it every moment, but there were a thousand gears of God's grace turning even when I couldn't see it. You may be here this morning and for you, the gear of grace that's turning is an opportunity for you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. To be confronted with this morning the reality that it is impossible for you to have a relationship with your Creator apart from a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And this is a moment afforded to you, a moment of grace extended to you by the Lord to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. To start 2023 as a child of God. If you are a child of God, you have the opportunity right now to start 2023 on the lookout for, eagerly expecting to see God's grace on display in your life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As our worship team makes their way back up, I want to give you just a few moments to think through God's grace in your life over last year. The moments where you could see it. And the moments looking back now that you couldn't see it, but it was there. Do you just take this opportunity to thank God for his grace in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's what you have experienced over the last year. God's grace 
in your life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, this is an opportunity for you to take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is a moment of grace for you to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection provides for you to experience that grace that we've talked about this morning. Church family, would you commit with me that we would take seriously over the next year the opportunity, the task, the role of being on the lookout for God's grace. Not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those in this faith community the lives of our spouse, of our kids, that we would point it out, that we would celebrate it, that we would magnify the grace of God in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it challenges us and encourages us. And, and even as we read passages of, of disaster, of sin, of disappointment we're reminded of your grace your grace that saved us your grace that sustains us God we thank you for that we ask this in Jesus name amen church would you stand as we sing maybe you want to start this year on your knees before the Lord our altar is open I'll be down front you respond this morning as the Lord leads.